welcome to another episode of the Formula E Zone podcast. My name is Jack George Mayner and it's September, so not much is actually happening. So joining me to talk about nothing is Tobias <laughs> Bloom from e 4 Hello, how are you? Not too bad, how are you? Bored, but apart Bored, from that, yeah. I'm good. <laughs> it's really been a boring couple of weeks these last few ones. Um, yeah, the off-season nice blues is really... Really it's nice boring. to have a bit of a summer break, though. You know, recharge the batteries as we head into season six now. Because right? I know it's September, but and we obviously we joke, of course, about not having much to talk about. But obviously, there is a little bit to talk about, which obviously why we're having a podcast. <laughs> but yeah, it was nice to recharge the batteries. But you know, October testing, and once that's done, then it's only a couple of weeks, and then we're motoring in November. So. You know, it'll all come thick and fast. Hmm. 80 more days by the time of this recording until we're, we're green in Adiria again. 22nd oh, of November. I think it's going to be an amazing season. I can't wait. I'm I'm really looking forward to it, especially after... Uh, I, I can only repeat, it's been a very boring last couple of days and weeks. And I'm so ready to go now. Really can't wait for the season to begin and to kick off. Yeah. And driver moves, we'll talk about them later. So, but you know, they're starting to fall into place now. So, and things are starting to move after the summer shutdown, you could say. So, you know, it's, it's starting to get interesting in Formula. So, I think what we should start to talk about first then is because we've had this brand new thing. So, Porsche uh, last week unveiled their car, hmm. but they decided not to use a usual here is our car on Twitter or on uh, via a press release. They went onto Twitch and did something quite, quite clever actually by using a, a game where people then interacted with to actually reveal the car. What were your thoughts on that, Tobias? Uh, I like the idea. Uh, <laughs> I didn't watch the whole thing because that live video game took about three hours to finish, and I think we had two, well, two parts of around. 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes when nothing was happening because of technical gremlins uh, sneaking in. Um, it was very... Uh, not very slow, uh, but long-winded, maybe. Uh, um, still, very interesting, very unique way to launch a car. Um, I always prefer just putting a piece of cloth onto the thing and then pulling it away, have a few lights, lights and laser beams going around and hey, here's a new car. But yeah, I like yeah. the idea. Um, and the car looks great as well. Um, oh, yeah. of course, yeah. It does look quite nice. I, I I, thought the idea was great. I thought, you know, go on to Twitch, you know, attract a big audience because obviously when there's a traditional car launch, it's normally us journalists going down to a place and then they reveal the car someone snaps a few photos they end up on social media and the general fan just gets to look at their phone and go oh look here's the Porsche car that some journalist has snapped at but I think it gave the public a chance to sort of be a part of the actual launch process which I liked the game itself I think it was a bit maybe a bit too long it felt it was like a story mode yeah and obviously yeah. you could you could um you could dictate by playing the game so you weren't really there like the character was sort of moving and you just voted with a number of fans like do you want to go through the left door the right door or go straight ahead or do you want to use this to cut the keychain or whatever so which was quite good but you know it had that sort of i don't know like a 
I want to say it's not Resident Evil 7, but it wasn't that scary. But, um, <laughs> uh, but it had that sort of feel like you were a character and you're just wandering around and going to different places to try and find, obviously, where this car is. So I thought it was it was quite good. Yeah, it, a good way to do it. Maybe the game could have been a bit shorter because I reckon, as you said, there was quite a few lull periods where, and you're just like, if you're watching and staying at home and you really want to know what this car looks like, do you really want to sit in front of a computer screen for three hours, like waiting, as it seems to be? So, you know, swings and roundabouts. But overall, I thought it was, it was quite a good way to um, launch a car. Yeah, as I, as I said, the the idea is amazing. It, it's literally having a real-life first-person GTA V-style video game at the end of which you don't fight any end bosses or anything, but you reveal the the first Porsche, works Porsche Formula E car. Um, very exciting idea. Um, the execution, yeah, was a bit long-winded. Um, but I think we got treated with a very good looking car um white at the front then a nice great touch in the middle and then obviously big big new sponsorship by vodafone uh, at the rear end um it's very similar to the season five dragon i feel yeah we got a few cars that look similar now well the porsches the first one we're seeing for season six of course yeah but Let's hope, H- well, Mercedes and Jaguar are a bit more different um, compared to last season with HWA and Absolutely, um, yeah. uh, Jaguar, which looked a bit similar. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll see more more cars in the next couple of weeks. Um, this week, it's it's launch week for Audi. Um, they've teased us with a couple of, of images on, on their social feeds. Looks like the Audi may look very similar to the Porsche. Uh, um and then next week to be fair i think the audi you know the lmp1 like 2016 car that audi had i feel like it's a throwback not all it's not not massive throwback like three three years but from the front wing it has that sort of red and that dark sort of gray and you know you remember that sort of look from the audi lmp1 car so i was you know i was thinking that maybe they could be heading towards a color scheme like that that's what i got from that front wing sort of picture yeah kind of um also reminded me of of the porsche lmp1 car um of course yes because they also had the black and and red yeah no i think it was the number one wasn't it the number one porsche had that black white red these colors just are the audi colors and the porsche colors in racing yes hmm. well of course because if you look at the porsche gt cars they've notoriously been black red and then white haven't they yeah they have so yeah, but I think it's nice to see Vodafone back. Obviously, Vodafone used to be Ferrari all those many years ago, and Vodafone back on a racing car. And then McLaren. I think it's quite nice to see. Oh, of course, and McLaren. How can you forget McLaren? I I remember Ferrari from back in the early early noughties, but of course, then it, obviously McLaren <laughs> in the middle of that. Um. So yeah, oh good. As you said, when we got, we've also got Mercedes. While we're talking about car launches, so Mercedes on the eleventh in Frankfurt, which you're going to. So that might that cool because obviously the eq they've you know they've had that black and sort of bluish sort of show car out for a while now and sort of shown that car so it'll be interesting to see what they do mercedes is it just going to be a simple silver car 
like you know a Mercedes like Formula One car in a sense, or will they do something different with their car? I think that'll be interesting. And the driver lineup as well on the eleventh. So hmm. we know probably one of them Stoffel Van Dorn, but who's gonna fill that second seat? Like I, I've I've got no clue at this precise moment. <sighs> there, there are clues. Um, there have been reports about it probably, maybe, possibly being Nick de Vries from... I think he's from Holland, isn't he? Um, yeah, he's Dutch, yeah. Alongside the Belgian, uh, very much to the liking of all. Uh, do you call them Benelux countries in English as well? Uh, we call them um, Benelux countries in German, Germany. Uh, no, Belgium, Netherlands, think, Luxembourg. No, I don't think we give them a specific. I might be, I might be wrong. I might there might be a name for it, but I can't, I can't think of a name yeah. that we give them. Anyway, uh, it's not like Scandinavia, like we call uh, Norway and Sweden and Denmark. But I could, no, I don't think we've got a name. We might do, but I, I can't <laughs> think of it off the top of my head. Okay, good, fair enough. Anyway, uh, so two neighboring countries, countries then, then pop probably having or maybe having uh, their Formula E team uh, with Mercedes. Um, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see, really. Uh, looks like it could be Nick de Vries on the way into the second uh, Mercedes cockpit alongside Stoffel van Dorn, but we'll have to wait for it until next week. Would it be a shock if we saw Gary Paffett alongside Stoffel van Dorn? Hmm. Because not much... I feel sorry for Gary, Gary in a sense, because, you know, he had an okay season last season, but, you know, he's not been a driver that everyone sort of disregarded him for a seat at Mercedes next season and obviously like he's 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 a very good driver won you know two DTM championships so and he's got a good you know good relationship with the team would you be surprised if he was announced alongside Stoffel van Dorn? Hmm, good question um I know Gary did test for Mercedes but so has Edo Mortara um Oh, Esteban Gutierrez tested as well. Um, yep. <laughs> difficult and obviously, someone to say. who has Formula experience, but obviously minor. Hmm. Yeah. Gary would have more more FE experience than Gary would. Um, of course. Difficult to tell. Um, don't think uh, it, it would be more of a surprise not to see Nick being announced than it would be a surprise to see Gary not announced. Does that make sense? Yeah. I. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. Obviously, it's very difficult at this moment to like to say who's going to be in that car. We're going to find out on the 11th. Like everyone's, we might be shocked. We might be not shocked. We might be pleasantly surprised. Yeah. So we'll just have to wait and see on that one. So I think before we move on, because we want to talk about something a bit later about Formula E and having an iconic race but before we go to that there was a there was a piece of news about testing that came out and obviously the testing testing schedule uh for like october 15th to the 18th but interestingly for the first time and i'm quite disappointed by this is that there isn't any public access so normally at donnington when we were there back in season one season two um, I think it was like one day, one or two days where, you know, public had access to it. And I think season two, it was basically the majority of the days. And I think in Valencia as well, since it's moved to Valencia, there's been a day or maybe two days where public can get access to. Maybe there's been one day where it's just media only. But this year it's just media only. And I, I, 
I struggle to understand really why Formula E sort of made that decision. I think it's it's a question of demand, maybe. Uh, because you have to bear in mind that when Formula E used to test in Donington, there were a lot more potential eyeballs in the area and fans willing to go to Donington and f- do and, and follow the tests. I don't have the impression that fans would really take take the long journey to Valencia. Obviously, there are Spanish FE fans, and uh, not to discard them, but Valencia really is nowhere. Or the circuit... Uh, Valencia isn't nowhere, but the circuit is in no man's land. And I think the demand for public access in these last two years we visited Valencia wasn't all too great and that might be that's the only reason I can imagine being um, yeah the reason behind Effie not opening up the test to the public you might be quite right and maybe it's a shame really that there might be some other tracks around Europe where you know might be a bit more because obviously Valencia they said that Donington I remember for years, you know, the drivers was also obviously it's not a representative track. You know, you always have to wait till till the first race of the season. And also they moved to Valencia, which also isn't a representative track. But at least in Donington, I suppose now because testing used to happen in the summer uh, in Britain time when it was uh, when it was at Donington, it was in August, I believe it was. Uh, at least it was, you know, the good weather. Obviously now having testing in October, that's sort of guaranteed freezing cold weather in in the United Kingdom. Maybe not all the time, you never know. But I think obviously that was another reason why it probably went away from somewhere which, you know, it could have attracted quite a lot of a lot of uh, potential potential fans. But I think there must be tracks in 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 Germany, maybe you could maybe name a few which, you know, might be a bit more suitable to Formula E and, you know, that might actually get fans that actually go whatever the weather is but I suppose maybe Germany might have the same problem as the United Kingdom in, in terms of it being too cold at that time of the year absolutely in October of, of course yeah uh, us central Europeans know the struggle of having bad weather in, in autumn I don't think the Spanish do and the Italians are always lucky um, the problem is that it's yeah a, a, session for all teams all this time 12 teams with 24 cars and a whole operation traveling behind them and uh, following them around the world to Valencia Uh, the problem is space Um, you have enough space in Valencia obviously but most teams prefer to test in uh, Calafat or Mallorca or uh, northern Italy uh, in Verano uh, and these circuits are more s- or resemble the typical FE circuits more than the Valencia circuit Ricardo Tomo does but these circuits these smaller circuits don't quite have the infrastructure of to support all 12 teams and that's the reason we're going to or one of the main reasons we're going to Valencia instead of a more typical FE track in the south of Europe uh, to have the good weather in, in October yeah but I, I just think it was a shame really for for Formula E to obviously not have any fans because may, but maybe you're right you know the demand maybe I, I haven't been to the Valencia test sessions actually so 
you know, I haven't seen how many fans have actually turned up on those days. So, you know, maybe there wasn't that many. So that was that was the reason for why it it fell through, and that's why it's just a it's just a private test. But I just think it's you know we're going to, into our sixth season, and the sport still needs that fan engagement. It still needs to build up a fan base, even though it's doing such a good job at this precise moment in building fans and becoming quite a like a series that is actually noticed now in, in motorsport and actually drivers are taking a are taking a interest in it it's not being something that sh- that was shunned sort of back in 2014 and it's becoming a proper series and in with that there's more fan interest so obviously blocking testing and giving Spanish fans who to be fair might travel to it because that's their only chance to get to a Formula E event potentially so and I know we don't race in Spain but you know, it would have been nice for the Spanish fans to at least see some action, formal reaction in their country. Sure, yeah. But in the end of the day, <laughs> again, not to discard fans in, in Spain or Portugal or wherever they might be, be coming from, Andorra, um, it's just testing in the end of the day. And no one really... In, Effie still hasn't the credentials F1 has, and Effie testing by far hasn't, well, the meaning of F1 testing. Um, as you see, only a couple of hundred people go, yeah, going to Barcelona everywhere, every year to, to follow the F1, and, and F1 testing, obviously, for the race there are a lot more people. Um, but Effie still is very, very... A lot, a lot smaller than than F one is, and <sighs> the only people really caring about testing are nerds. Us, i.e., us. <laughs> yeah, us. Yeah, because we want to find out. It's a great way to have you got all the drivers together to try and get interviews and 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 get stuff together uh, yeah. for the preseason and 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 so forth. So it's it's. It's it's a big deal for us, but obviously, like I I remember season one, I uh, I think for Formula Rezone was just starting, so we didn't get the media accreditation. So, but being able to go up there as a fan, get pictures, get stuff ready for the website, so when and we you know as the season went on, we got the you know accreditation. But you know, it was a great start to go and actually get pictures, you know, put things onto social media and stuff like that. So you know as a fan at that point in time it, it was quite good and obviously useful and i remember tons of fans there i actually i remember taking uh some of my cousins down i was i was there for <laughs> season two i was there as media and my cousins were interested that were near um near donnington that lived near there so they came down for the day to find out what formula e was all about and i thought you know i was like my little bit to the sport of bringing in something <laughs> But, um, Good job, Jack. But yeah, it's a sh- <laughs> yes, yes. But um, but yeah, but in, not to be. But I think we should move on now because I think we've covered that. But I saw an interesting article from eRacing three six five. Obviously, Sam Smith doing an amazing job of covering the sport. Um, but I thought it was interesting this because obviously it says the FIA considering red flag punishment for twenty nineteen twenty. Now, when I saw that headline, I was puzzled a little bit, not even reading the story because we've talked a lot about track design so obviously they've gone for a punishment system for the drivers for causing red flags now sometimes the drivers do cause the red flag but let's take burn for example you know imagine pascal verline who 
didn't really do much wrong in that incident, but he was the car that caused that red flag. Like, for me, I think it's pretty harsh in that situation to maybe severely punish a driver. And I don't think, to be honest with you, I think the red flags that we've we've caused, uh, they've not been too driver-heavy. And if there's a crash and it's a, you know, think Rome, for example, like a small little error, but because of the track design, it's caused a massive pile-up like it did in Rome this season, or last season now. You know, I feel like that's 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 quite harsh to penalise a driver that way. Yeah, but we have to keep in mind that the FIA also is planning on cutting down on, well, these very tight chicanes. So it will be a good mix of both adapting the circuits and getting rid of these enormously tight chicanes, like we saw in Bern or in Rome, uh, and then for drivers still not getting it right. For example, I think the red flags were triggered by D'Ambrosio and Bern and Pachito in Rome, uh, obviously, but yeah. it will be a mix of both. So the circuits and the tracks will be changed, but in addition to that, we're going to have, maybe, we're maybe going to have red flag procedure improvements. Yeah, for, for, just for me, I thought it was a bit harsh on the drivers, and I feel like, you know, for me, I feel like Formula E have got too many Mickey Mouse corners, and I think that's another thing that fans who were trying to get into the series complain about, having corners where, you know, it just makes Formula E look silly, and I, I, I don't think punishing the drivers for causing red flags are, are the way to go. I think maybe punishing drivers for contact and, you know, you know barging someone into the wall or, you know, closing the door a bit late maybe you know that could be picked up which was something that really wasn't in season five and they were allowed to go racing which you know what Formula E really and truly it's it's the touring car world it's the it's like a crossbreed between touring car and and open wheel racing because I've just literally just gone off this point but bear with me (laughs) because street because street racing is so notoriously hard to overtake even in formula e like i know we get a lot of overtaking because of the energy management system and that helps provide overtaking like we saw overtaking monaco of all the places because of energy management but in some racetracks especially if we get full course yellow and safety car as drivers say there isn't that much of you know it makes the race so much easier on energy so the only all the way that you can get past is to sort of make contact with the driver sometimes as you're going through and you know and as they say say in america and you know i think any racing fan sort of agrees is you know like bumping you know bumping is racing so it's 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 what president do the fia want to set because otherwise as many drivers will say fine we'll just qualify where we qualify and we'll finish the race there because if you're not going to allow us to potentially overtake or go for a risk to actually overtake a car on a street circuit then it'll be incredibly boring so it swings and roundabouts basically that's what i had in my head it swings and roundabouts yeah you can go and punish them but if you punish them then they ain't going to do anything what do you think am i wrong maybe i'm wrong (sighs) what was the core point (laughs) <laughs> of, of all of that. <laughs> so the good, good question. I, I like that. No, I think the core point for me is is that if we start punishing them heavily for contacting, maybe causing a red flag, mm-hmm. 
you know, are we going to stop them? Are drivers going to say, fine, I ain't, I ain't going to race. I'm not, there's, I'm not going to risk overtaking mm. X because if I get it wrong, I'm going to be penalised. Mm. Which many drivers have said. I'm sure they've said it to you as well. No, that won't happen. They're race drivers. They can't help it but overtake. Uh, but race. Race drivers have to go for the gap if it's there. And um, I don't think we'll see drivers now hesitating in any way uh, in order to avoid any sort of punishment. I don't think that'll happen. Okay. It's just a suggestion because I've had it many times. I think Wamey, Degrassi, I know they're very political, both drivers, in terms of, you know, <laughs> they will say something and, you know, it might not be true, but they'll say it to make a point, if that makes sense. So I've had definitely drivers like that tell me, PK, obviously, well, he said this something similar to me as well when he was in the in the series. And obviously, at the beginning of this season, there was, you know, that degree of, you were allowed to, you were allowed to barge the car out of the way. Not well, essentially, but you were allowed to make contact. Put it that way. Yeah. And get past and get away with our penalty. But then, for example, Hong Kong, Sam Bird, and Andre Lotterer, where there was contact, but then, f- f- unluckily on Sam Bird's part, that contact caused Lotterer to basically lose the lead the race and got punched, and he got a penalty. But then we've seen, you know, arguably we've seen that there were worse collisions potentially than what Sam actually did to Andre that weren't penalised but that was so yeah that it's interesting that's also a question that needs to be addressed in my opinion you're right we need consistency with uh, well the rulings and with the decisions taken uh, by the stewards and by the race direction Um, but we shouldn't forget about as you said earlier, that FE can be a contact sport and that it is okay to maybe nudge drivers a bit, um, but it's important not to lose respect on track for each other. And I didn't have the impression of drivers being disrespectful to one another uh, last season, but it was very hard racing and borderline fair slash unfair. It's a question of fairness, uh, or it was a question of fairness last season in, in many instance, instances. And it's it's a question of people, or of drivers, brain fade. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> never mind. So Sorry. I, think what you're trying, I think what you're trying to say simply is that I think... It, drivers want to know that if if I do that, that's going to be a penalty. If I do that and get away with it, then oh great, that means I might you know get to carry on, get to carry on. I'll carry on doing it. But then when it when someone does something and to one driver that's a step too far and they get away with it, then that's when you start to get the bickering and the media pen. So they'll you know someone and obviously it'll come from the person who has been hit. But then what will happen is the bickering won't start until someone else does something and then gets penalised and they're like, but hey, hang on a second, they'll be like, this guy did that to him in, in Rome or Paris and he, he got nothing. Like, if you look at mine, and then that's what seemed to happen halfway through the season was drivers were starting to bicker about each other's collisions and say, well, that one was a bit hard, but he didn't get a penalty, but I did. 
So what's going on there? If that's acceptable, how comes mine's not acceptable? And I think there was just that bit of moaning, that bit of bickering, and that what that's what sort of the FIA had to sort of stamp out and say, okay, and sort of come across some sort of borderline to say what is yep. legal and what is illegal. And towards the end of the season, it's sort of, you know, that sort of, it sort of faded away and there was a bit more fair racing. Yes, we saw one or two red flags, but, you know, not many to many drivers' faults in terms of collisions. Yeah. If that makes sense. So so I think that's what you were trying to say. Yeah, and, and what I'm wishing for in, in season six uh, from a driver's perspective is uh, the race direction showing up clear boundaries of the regulations, a bit of respect yep, slash fairness slash sportsmanship it wasn't really the sportsmanship that was missing it was it could be better uh, let's put it that way uh so the sportsmanship quote unquote returning um yeah and as, yeah. as part of of the race direction all the stewards showing up the clear boundaries um some some forms of punishment can be introduced such as considering red flag punishments in the next season the racing yeah, in I many agree. instances just needed to settle down a bit i think and yeah which is what this which is what the fia sort of you know said in in the article they want racing to settle down and they sort of did towards the end but i still think there's other factors that that you know contribute to a red flag being caused uh, but anyway i think we should move on i think i've been dying to ask this question because i think it's an it's a really important question it's, uh, considering that we're we're away from the season maybe to talk about and i was wondering will formula e ever have an iconic race because obviously if you look at formula one you've potentially got monaco as the big one obviously we just had belgium and you've got monza so there's some there's some iconic races silverstone if you want to put it into that bracket you know there's quite a few iconic races that have been on the calendar for an exceedingly long time in for and and been in Formula One since like Monaco and Silverstone, for example, since day one. So, what I was thinking about with Formula E is looking at the calendar this season. There's only one city. Obviously, London has come back, but one city that has been on the calendar since the first season, and that has been Berlin. Hmm. But with berlin changing the track layout and obviously it's set to become another change of a track layout because it's on the berlin tempelhof tempelhof airport i can't see berlin ever becoming an iconic race to win because the track would have changed so many times unless they actually settle on a track hmm. so i'm i'm wondering will formula e ever see an iconic race will formerly ever have its own monaco will formerly ever have its own indianapolis 500 will formerly ever have its bathurst 12 hours like what what iconic race will formerly have in 50 years time <laughs> good question yeah but jack you have to keep in mind formula e only started out in 2014 uh no circuit can be <laughs> yeah kind of the standout circuit the the one with the most tradition the one we're always not afraid of but are looking at in astonishment about the history and all of that sochi was introduced in 2014 in f1 and that by far isn't iconic in any way 
Uh, but it's been around for the yeah, same amount sure. of time that Formula E has been around. Um, so it does take at least a decade, I would say, until we can truly call a circuit iconic. Um, I'm always thinking about Singapore and that maybe being iconic, obviously it being the standout night race. But I feel Singapore has potential to be an iconic F1 race of the early 2000s in terms of, if you think about centuries, um, yeah. Singapore has potential and that's been around for a decade now. Um, yeah, FE does not have any iconic circuits yet. And I think, but I think there is potential, um, but it's not about the circuit layout or any... Maybe some corners, of course. We have Radion in F1. We have, oh, I don't know, uh, Parabolica. Cops Corner, Maggots and Beckett, Parabolica. Yeah, that's right. So it can be a couple of corners that are iconic. But I think and I feel it's mostly the character of the track that defines it being iconic or not. And the character can massively be influenced by the surroundings. And Silverstone is iconic for of course some corners and just for the time it's been around just like Spa or Monza have but it's also the surroundings the fans I feel is a major part of what makes Silverstone so amazing Spa it's of course the corner Radignan it's of course uh, Pouhon uh, it's of course Blanchiment but it's also the surroundings it's going through the forests it's, it's up and downhill and just generally the scenery. Monza is iconic for a couple of corners, but it's also iconic for the fans, and it's also iconic for it being the high-speed temple of F1. And FE circuits need, of course, iconic and characteristic corners, and we will need to work on that to have more stability in terms of the not only the calendar, but stability in terms of the circuit layout, that we return to a circuit which hasn't been altered in the in these last few years um, for, for a repeated amount of years. Um, so just so that we can look forward to having iconic corners. FE circuits don't, don't only need iconic corners, uh, but also the scenery is important. And that's a reason I feel... That Tempelhof can be iconic. Uh, we only had one year where we, were, where we weren't in Tempelhof. Um, but the surroundings, the airport is has potential for the Berlin race to become iconic. Now back to iconic FE corners. Which corners on, on, on the season 5 calendar would you say have the potential to become iconic? I immediately, immediately think of, of the stadium in Mexico. That's an iconic section for me. Okay, yeah, I think that's iconic because of the history. But uh, it, it's um, to me, there are a couple of bland left-hand corners. There's nothing that excites me going in there. It's just because of the because of the ambiance and of of the atmosphere, as you said, with the fans. Because obviously, mm. with Formula E growing, the, obviously the fans will grow, and that that section of track will be immense once you know that Mexico that that stadium section is full. Obviously, it hasn't really been full yet in in Formula oh, 1. Oh, it has. It has been full before. Then, yeah, you could be right. That could be quite iconic. But when you said that, an iconic corner, I couldn't really think of any. 
I couldn't really think of an iconic corner, a corner that, to me in the Formula E calendar that I go, wow. Now, I've been lucky, like, you know, if you're if you're lucky enough to own R-Factor 2, you can download most of the Formula E circuits that have been on past and present. And, you know, I've driven quite a few of them on there, and nothing has, nothing stood out, nothing felt amazing, nothing felt like it, it, you know, it could be an iconic corner in in future years. Maybe, maybe for uh, you know, because former e cars, you have to also remember, like they haven't reached their full potential. You know, maybe in ten, fifteen, twenty years' time, a Formula E car is just as fast as a Formula One car, and you know, potentially, this is all hypothetical. Mm -hmm. So therefore, we need corners in city center tracks, for example, that will make these cars look amazing. So maybe. Maybe, you know, we're both quite young. Maybe it won't be till we're in our retirement homes <laughs> that Formula E could potentially have iconic corners because of just how the technology... Because let's think about it. I know I know, I posed the question, but maybe six years, 1956, you know, were Formula One fans thinking, oh, this could be, you know, this is, this is a corner that will, be, will live forever. Maybe not. I do, but because we talk about all these, because obviously now time and motorsport has gone down the line, and we talk about all these iconic different places. So you you get that question of you know will Formula E have its race? You know, Fernando Alonso is famously going for this triple crown. You know, will Monaco, the Le Mans Twenty Four Hours, the Indianapolis Five Hundred, and will a Formula E race? potentially be added to that list or could it be added to that list or is it mm. too modern for mm. to be added to that sort of list because obviously the history around Indy 500 Monaco and Le Mans is so has gone on so long that Formula E could never maybe potentially touch that but that's what I was thinking I was like could Formula E ever reach that level could we have an iconic city that you know drivers go to that race and go oh yes I want to win that race if there's one race like they say monaco for example they want to win in formula one that's the one they want to win will drivers go into formula e and say i want to win the rome e because that's the most iconic one hmm. don't think fe will become part of the quadruple crown in in the near future it, it might one day but not for now um no i agree with that i agree with that i don't think that will happen until formula e cars are matching the levels of IndyCar yeah. and Formula and Formula One. Maybe maybe twenty or even thirty years down the line we will talk about yeah, FE partaking that. possibly in the quadruple crown. Um but we'll have to keep in mind of course the history around Le Mans, Indy and Monaco F one. Um of course. There is i s I'm still thinking about potential candidates for our uh most spectacular corner in in season five um and i'm let me let me go to an iconic go, iconic ones I, i've got website. a couple ones or okay. in the history of of fe um of course my uh, i'm yeah the one i'm thinking I, I thought of immediately was the stadium section in mexico um then there is uh rome the jump in turn eight yep there's Pretty okay, much one. the entire circuit in Punta del Este. Um, I wanted to talk about Punta del Este actually. And then there's turn three in Bern. 
the downhill yeah, right turn, hander. I like turn for that that turn for him, Burn. Okay, I'll get that one's a good one as well. I want to talk about Punta del Este because I remember uh, a long time ago when Punta del Este was out. Formula E really wanted Punta del Este to become their Monaco. They wanted. They said it was a perfect race location because it was on the beach, and it would, could have been. You know, there was early signs when it was on the calendar. Formula E. This was people from within Formula E. It wasn't like, you know, they weren't raving about it that this was their next Monaco. But they were really hoping that Punta del Este could become the next Monaco because, if you remember, it was the pit lane, the beach, and <laughs> Formula E were thinking that could have been a really an, a place which could have become iconic because you're racing next to the beach. So it surprised me when a lot of people within Formula E were talking about. Punta del Este potentially becoming that iconic race, but then it just gets dropped from the calendar. And I was like, okay. And then we've had so many races. Obviously, we're racing in some iconic cities. You can't deny that. New York, Berlin, Paris, Rome, London when it comes back. Mm-hmm. Like Hong Kong. There's some there's some really iconic cities. But will those iconic cities ever become into iconic races? Or will they just become iconic because it's New York? Like, if New York stayed on the calendar for the next 15 years, for example, would that just become a de facto iconic race because we're racing in New York? We've been racing in New York for nearly 20 years. You know, you've got that amazing backdrop. You know, because it's a city, would the city elevate that to becoming an iconic track possibly in the future? Or will it be we might end up going to, for example, Buenos Aires. Like, Buenos Aires was another one. I think the... The, the fast section coming out onto the start finish straight I, I Ooh, used to yeah. love the cars they had a great they had a great camera view yeah. and the cars actually looked really quick going through so it'd be actually quite interesting to see how today's modern days would take that flat because that would look a bit more spectacular and Buenos Aires looked quite nice and it and, and the street track was actually really was quite flowing there but we might be going to to cities that are unheard of we could be going to a city in Yemen or a city in, you know, we could go to Vietnam. I know Formula One are going to it, but that could be the best track. And we go to that track and it's got the best corners. Then maybe the track itself becomes iconic from in that sense. It's just, it's interesting. It's a debate I wanted to have because will Formula E tracks become iconic in the future because of the city that it's in? Or will it be the track that makes it iconic, makes it the one that, yeah. The racers are like, yeah, I want to win that one because that's got the toughest corners. Hmm. Well, for as I, as I said earlier, for a race to be, to be iconic, a circuit or a city or a place needs to tick certain boxes. And one box it needs to tick, obviously, is the location. Another one is the backdrop. Another one is a corner, maybe, or a, a section of the circuit, which is iconic. Another one might be the history the, the the amount of time we've spent in, in that city. There are a lot of boxes um, that a circuit needs to tick to become iconic. And being around for 15 years might make New York iconic, um, but we might get an even better ti- a better track in the meantime, uh, which, has m- which takes more boxes than New York would. Um, I don't think we've seen Effie's standout iconic track yet. Um, I see potential in in South Korea. Um, they also have a stadium section. Um, it could be. Could London be an it, iconic it, one? It, I, I was, I was about to say that. It, if that stays. Yeah, 
and so looks so looks very gray and dull on google maps but so does the excel and i think london takes the boxes of having amazing fans um i still have the impression that's maybe because i spend so much time on twitter nowadays uh and twitter's (laughs) full of brits and not germans but um i think fe has a massive fan base uh, in the uk and that is a very important box to tick for a circuit to become iconic. Then there's there will be the ramp going in and out of the XL. There will be the indoor and outdoor part of the circuit. That takes a lot of the of the boxes for it to become a truly spectacular circuit. And London might very well become one of Evie's um, standout iconic tracks. Yeah. Just to wrap this up before we before we move on to the final topic, it's uh, you talk about the fan atmosphere, and obviously we've been to quite a few Formula E races. Uh, from any that you've gone to or potentially have seen on TV, would you say like have has Formula E attracted fans that you know could be that or ha- go to a place where it is you know quite good for the fans or it's iconic because of the fans and the fans, the atmosphere around the race is actually quite good. Uh, I'm going to have to wave my black, red, and gold flag here and say Berlin. It's it's literally a festival. We have the E Village, obviously, always being similar or resembling a festival. A, that it be a tech festival or a food festival, not maybe a music festival because music festivals aren't that often attended to by by families. But generally, the E Village yeah is a festival of things and this festival of things is Tempelhof offers an amazing um well white sheet of paper for for that festival of things to spread and uh, a canvas that's the word i was looking for Tempelhof can be a great canvas for fe and the fan experience is really, really good in Berlin. Um, I have to be yeah, patriotic to here, but Berlin is I really have to good. Agree. I was hoping you'd say Berlin because, to be fair, if there was one race I've been to, and obviously I've been to all the European rounds, Berlin stood out, and it's a shame I haven't been for a couple of years now, actually. Um, but when I last went to Berlin, there was go kart in, there was a real buzz. Like people were just, you know, drinking. There was people just enjoying themselves. There was activities, mm-hmm. yeah. and I think because of the space, I know, Eve, the E Village is stuck in different sort of centres around other racetracks. So it's just sort of squeezed in somewhere. Whereas in Berlin, because, and this is another reason why Tempelhof could become iconic, and that's why I'm, I'm I, rather than them changing the track layout, I'd rather them build a track layout that would be amazing for Formula E. I know it's a, like a flat surface, so you can't do too much with um you know elevation and so forth but i'd rather them stick to an amazing track maybe even build a bridge that they'd have to go over like mm. in race of champions build something because there's something that they can do because the the possibilities in and you can have a figure of eight you could have a car go under while a car goes over as part of the racetrack but obviously they all have to go you know round the same but you know technically if one car's faster than the other you can get that sort of shot where one goes you know it's just it just came into my head you know formula repay me later <laughs> but 
it's um it's one of those where it has that fan atmosphere it could potentially tick the box for the fan one because in other races where you go to paris for example paris is such an iconic city and it ain't a bad racetrack but the limitations are that you can't get many fans around it because it's so tight and so you know your best bet for a going to you're either on the start finish straight or you're in the or you're in the e-village watching it from the grass there isn't that much space um in paris to actually like to watch the race although paris although paris is amazing the way fe squeezes in their circuit and their whole operation into that very very small and tiny place it amazes me every time oh yeah for certain but then you know, comparing it to Berlin, obviously the, the French fans are really good, and, and in the Evilage, Evil is always just packed. But in Berlin, it just felt like that sense of like, real fan. You, there was noise. There was it, you were right in terms of like it being a festival. It, it, it was. It is a very good place, and it definitely ticks a box for the fans. I think. Yeah. Um, for that one. So moving on to wrap up the podcast. Um, I think we should talk about potential driver moves because obviously while we've been Brendan Hartley which probably surprised a few but maybe not I think it, this one kind of makes sense it's like this not Porsche you know the Porsche link between Dragon uh, a couple of seasons ago when Neil Yarny was there and obviously Brendan Hartley tested the Porsche so there might be still something going on there between Dragon and Porsche um, so that enabled Brendan Hartley then to take the dragon seat. What did you think of Brendan Hartley taking the dragon seat? Interesting. Um, uh, we all had him pretty much set in our minds uh, to join Porsche. It really was uh, very close to it being official, him being announced at Porsche. And we all thought it was going to happen. Uh, Brendan Hartley alongside Neil Jarney. Um, but then all of a sudden we heard the news of Andre Lotra leaving DS for Porsche after New York. And it I haven't spoken to, to Brandon in, in, in the time between Andre being announced at, at Porsche and Brandon joining Dragon. But it I have just the gut feeling that things started to change for Brandon after that move was announced. Um, I'm not accusing him of thinking he has the seat already before having signed a contract um but it just felt very wrong uh, f- for it all to to happen so quickly it didn't happen too too quickly and i'm sure both brandon and andre were were involved in in the entire process um but i we all had the feeling that brandon was going to join porsche um in the end of the day he still wanted to compete in fe i think um, he doesn't have any any major alternatives uh, for next year. He could have joined a WEC team, I'm sure. Um, but racing in FE... Is... Well, he's still racing because the super season's just started. So he, he is... Ah, he is. Is he still racing? for Toyota till July. Ah, yeah, of course. Of course, yeah, you're right. Totally forgot about that. Sorry, Brandon. Um, yeah, he is still racing in WEC. Oh, damn it. Yeah, but still. Um, he wanted to, to have a seat in FE... Um, which is very interesting. Um, yeah. I don't know. But another driver that's going to have to deal with all these clashes, because these clashes still remain. And obviously for, for, for Brendan, Toyota's going to come first. So the clash on the 14th of December, the, the one in March of Sebring, and 20th of March, I think that is, and then Korea of Spa on the 3rd of May. 
So there's still a few. Yeah. Still a few. Still a few clashes. I know. You know th- they moved. There might be someone else in there. But they moved Spa, so there, there's not going to be a clash with uh, with So now. Oh okay, of course. Oh yes, yeah, so yeah. Apologies, they haven't moved yeah. Spa. So there's just the one on the 14th and the and Seabury. Yeah. So we are going to have a bit of musical chairs at Dragon once again. Maybe we'll see the return of Felipe and Nazar. Uh, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> Maybe. Um, well, we had Jordan King being touted. You know, I we wrote an article about. Maybe how Nelson PK Jr. could uh, like, you know, if if they're struggling for drivers, maybe if he, if he wanted to come back, I don't think he would. But you know, he's a driver. Dragon has obviously gone really backwards in terms of their technical prowess, and obviously switching from Venturi to making their own powertrains. Maybe someone like PK could have been a good driver just to maybe push them back forward, um, rather than going with a rookie like Jordan King, who's completely new to the series. Uh, maybe having a driver that has some I don't think having two rookies will benefit Dragon in the long term I think having a driver that has some sort of Formula E experience might help them um, I think a lot of Formula E fans are, are worried about Dragon because they have the potential to be an amazing team and they were a, a fantastic team once you know, when, in the days when they had Lloyd Duval and Jerome D'Ambrosio and you know they were able to challenge back in season 2 and season 3 but ever since the Faraday Future deal disappeared it, it, it's been a struggle bus for that team and and I don't know how long and Jay Penske is a very competitive guy and I don't know how long he'll stick around with a team that's not performing so I think maybe someone with former experience like Nelson potentially couldn't wouldn't be a bad shout it, <sighs> it's optimistic it's though. Very I, I, optimistic, I understand yeah. that that's not an, I understand that that's not a popular opinion and he's probably a bit disillusioned with the sport but when you look at Nelson Piquet Jr., if I was Jay Penske and I didn't have, a, and I was thinking I wanted a driver with a bit of effy experience, you know, former E champion. We can't knock our champions. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're right. Um, but I still don't think he'll return. Um, he. No, I agree. Yeah. But it's well make worth worth making a an a, a, a point. Yeah, or a it's point. worth a shout. Yeah. <laughs> It's interesting, Jordan yeah, that, King. That's really silly season, though, isn't it? That's the dragon now, and obviously the finalising of Gunther and 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 that. That's that's the remainder of silly season. Yeah, we are waiting for confirmation of Max signing with BMW. He's testing. Um, t- we're recording this on on the Tuesday, and he did a test today uh, for BMW. Um, yeah. Um, it looks pretty sad. He man. looks pretty sad, yeah, and he is, let's say, the favourite to to join Alex Sims at BMW. I think it's good that BMW potentially could keep Sims. I'm not sure if that's even 100% certain in itself, mm. but obviously, with them having that stability of having a driver that they had last season, and and I think Sims of another year's experience could be quite good, and obviously getting that good result in in New York to win the season, you know. We'll do him a world of confidence, but then obviously then the Costa to Techita to join Mark Preston again and to join Jean Eric Verne that will be a tasty lineup if once that's announced. Yeah, and and Simsy's been around uh, since season three. Um, he tested yep. for Andretti when when they first joined, when they were, were first BMW. joined by BMW. Yeah. yeah, and then BMW slowly yeah. merged and merged with Andretti, the FE team of Andretti and. Yeah, kind of moved more and more towards the foreground and is now the works entry. 
and Sims has been around ever since 2016. And um, I think even though he's only had one season, or only has one season under his belt as of now, uh, he has a lot more experience in FE than than people really credit him with. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think he had a, he had an up and down season, but I think Sims definitely probably deserves another chance just to say, hey, it was a bit of a hectic year, a learning year, but uh, you know I've got the tools available to you know fight for a title, and he could have easily have fought for this year's title, and next uh, next year's title could be just amazing there's so many manufacturers now so it's going to be absolutely tight i think season six could be the best year of formula e by far season six surely, it's set yeah. up to be yeah but <laughs> porsche mercedes jaguar audi bmw like it's just unbelievable the excitement is bigger than it's I, d I think the excitement before season one was a bit bigger, um, but the anticipation of yeah, what will happen yeah. in Adiria and these next couple of races, uh, these first few races of season six, will be about as big as it was before Beijing in 2014. Apart from that, it might oh. very well be FE's biggest season coming up, yes. Yeah, I agree. Right then, I think... I think we've covered everything, Tobias. I think we've done we've done a decent. I think it's been a good podcast. Yeah, actually. we've done uh, good. But nothing to talk about. We've we've uh, we've filled an hour, <laughs> which is fair enough. Yeah. So you know, which is which is you know <laughs> nothing to talk about, but you still fill up an hour. So there we go. Um, thank you so much for joining again. Thank you for having me. So remember to if you if you're enjoying the podcast there should be new uh well there should be new podcast but there'll be new videos coming out we've got the weekly mailbox hopefully coming out very soon i know we've just we're finishing up editing that there'll be some new stuff coming up for the for the new season so there'll be plenty to check out on the youtube channel so make sure you give the video a like if you're enjoying that helps us out massively and a subscribe if you're enjoying the content that we are doing thank you so much for listening and we will see you very soon Goodbye. Goodbye.